0: Hey, it's Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. I want to take a moment before we start this episode to thank everyone who's been tuning in every other week, you know, uh, consistently, religiously, uh, The kind of the the big fans out there who are listening to each latest episode. Thanks so much. Um, If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do that. And while you're at it, just leave a review. Uh, this podcast it's all about you the listeners so we'd really love to hear your input okay with that uh, i'm very very happy and excited to welcome our guest today eric galvin president and ceo at connecticare as we continue our segment of catching up with all the local carriers on uh, what they've been up what they've been up to so eric uh, how you doing
1: i'm doing well thanks for having me jeff
0: our, our pleasure again really all right, let's just jump right in, and, um, and I think we really do have to start with people I think are getting tired of talking about uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, but, um, but I think we do have to talk about it, Eric. And so can you take a few minutes and just sort of explain how Connecticut has responded to and continues to respond to this pandemic?
1: Yeah, and, and thanks um, for the opportunity to do that because as much as we're all eager to get out and about and um, try to regain some degree of, of normalcy in, you know, in our, our, our patterns of behavior, I think especially in our industry, this is still very much here and we're still very much um, wanting to make sure that people have uh, what they need in order to, uh, to be safe and be healthy um, so we did, we, we did so many things. Um, and you know, right from the very beginning, um, what we really tried to get out into the market in terms of messaging was, and to our members specifically is, you know, all of the resources that they had available to them in terms of, um, if they felt like they had any symptoms, how to go about, um, being seen by, a, by a physician, especially as, um, a lot of the lockdown orders got put into place. Um, you know, we covered right out of the, out of the gate. We covered telehealth visits uh, for medical and mental health services at no cost share. We extended that through June 30th. We're likely to extend further. And then uh, we right again right out of the gate, we really encouraged people to get a 90-day fill of any of their maintenance medications. Um, because we weren't sure how long it was going to go on for number one. But number two is, you know, we wanted people to to maintain the the health that they had. And if they have a chronic condition or they have something that is important to maintain treatment on, did not want them skipping any of those. You know, we, we ended up uh, opening up the 90 day fills and, uh, and frankly, um, trying to make that easier because I think sometimes it's an extra step to get that started and we really wanted people to take advantage of that um, And you know, obviously free shipping and, and what have you was uh, was also included that in the- I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I would just make an
0: observation from my end, which is that um, You know looking at the claims experience for our clients or at least the ones that I'm intimately involved with you know we, we saw the expected drop in medical claims um you know starting March but really you know April and May. Right. We'll see right. what June looks like. But I, I was happy to see um I, I think fairly consistently that that the, the the drug claims continued kind of to stay at their pre-COVID levels and, and so that gives me hope that folks are staying compliant with their with their meds and you guys are helping them do that.
1: Yeah we, we actually we saw very much the same thing although I would say um we actually saw an increase in the the pharmacy spending, which we viewed that as a good thing. We viewed that as people were taking that initiative to make sure that they had um, their you know their maintenance medications. And and you know normally people uh, some are just more comfortable going into a pharmacy and getting a thirty day fill. Um, it was um, it was a great sign to see people you know take taking that initiative. Um you know, and then we extended grace periods um, we continue to talk about premium as a company and um, what does uh, what does premium look like across the board right it's um uh, we want to be cautious though we want to be really careful that we don't um, uh, we don't get too far over our skis because there are a couple of really big topics on covid that have yet um to be fully fleshed out and as the state reopens and monitors, um, you know, new infection rates, um, there might need to be a different response around testing, and um, and we want to be cautious about that so that we don't find ourselves in in a unable to fully support the um, you know the the testing efforts. Um, but one of the most impactful things that we did, Jeff, um, we, we started doing these uh, these outreach calls um, that we shifted the discussion about, and um, you know, we, we do this every day. I I think most people who have experienced Connecticut care know that our customer service teams and our clinical teams, um, because they're right here in the state and they know not only the geography, but they, they know the neighborhoods that people live in that, you know, they come to expect that, that type of personal touch. But what we did is we implemented, you know, a little bit of a different um, twist to that program that we called Peace of Mind. And it was to try to reach people who, at first, those that are most vulnerable to complications from COVID, and, um, and just asking them, how are you? We're like, what, how are you doing? What do you need? Do you, you need any help? Not only with your insurance, not only with your, your health needs, um, but are there other things that you need? And you know, one of the interesting uh, things that we feel fortunate that we we're able to help with is some people needed uh, to understand where social programs um, might be able to help them, what, um, you know, what food um, opportunities they had, whether it's a food bank or, you know, and I think we've all seen the images of Rentschler Field and other places where, you know, it just is heart-wrenching to see. And so we've, we've been able to connect people to various social programs um, and we've made tens of thousands of these out, outbound calls um, and continue to do so today. Um, I, I,
0: I think I, I would highlight that. I mean, that's you being you know, you, outbound calls, outreaching Connecticut to those those members at risk. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. And then what, what we've uh, shifted it to because, you know, we've made contact with most of those individuals that are, you know, that would be considered high risk um, then we kind of went down into the into the rest of the um, the customer base, and you know, targeting the conversation a, a bit differently based on what we believe their um, their needs would be. So, you know that those are the those are the most uh, I would say visible. Um, that plus all of the information that we were pushing out through social media, direct email, um, we had some of the highest um open rates on our email communications because especially early on people were thirsting for information that um you know not only what does it mean to the state but more importantly what does it mean to me as an individual so we were happy to be able to do that um and um you know and we continue to think innovatively innovatively about what else do we need to do how do we help our first responders we we provided meals to a lot of uh um, emergency department workers in, in uh, a couple of different uh, geographies. You know, we've made tons of donations, not only of, of time, but also PPE. So, you know, again, we're, uh, we're the Connecticut Health Plan for a reason. We're helping families that uh, are friends and neighbors, and, uh, and we take that very seriously.
0: I guess we also have to talk about providers just to close out the the COVID conversation. You, your Connecticut is unique in that you, you, you have clinics, you have brick and mortar clinics, right? So, so you're in the the provider business as well, right? So it's not just your providers that you have contracts with and the part of your network and, and the struggles that they're going through as well. Um, but your own clinics, how, how, how has this impacted all that?
1: Yeah, so um, just to give folks who might not be familiar a little bit of, of clarity on that. So um, we've, we had um, a, uh, a partnership with an organization that was, um, um, you know, staffing clinics at different parts of the state. Um, you know, they continued to try to provide service, uh, even amidst, you know, PPE shortages and what have you. And then, you know, our, we also have our, what we refer to as our retail locations, our brick and mortar, uh, that we have six of them across the state. Um, and these are, our centers that people are able to go and get, um, service. Certainly if they want to, you know, purchase a product, we're able to help them with that. Um, but then also we have a whole host of services, um, many of them oriented towards a fitness and wellness and um you know, we did have to close those we uh We have some plans to reopen them, likely not to include any of those group wellness or group fitness um, programs for some time, just out of abundance of um of safety. Um, but we do have plans to reopen those uh, those retail centers over the summer and um and you know. It's it's interesting, right? In this in this digital day, in this digital world, um, one of the things that our customers have enjoyed the most is being able to have a face to face conversation when they have a, a question that might be a little bit more complex, and just drive to one of our centers and uh, and, and get that resolved. So, yeah, so it's it's been multifaceted, Jeff. It's um, and you know we we continue to to um, have all of that staff. Um, helping our customers. They're doing it telephonically today. Looking forward to having them return into the offices.
0: That's a nice kind of feature that that Connecticut members have is to, to, you know, pre-COVID and and at some point, as you said, starting in the middle of the summer, you you know, have those more intimate, literally face-to-face conversations with somebody because, you know, this is insurance is confusing still. I know you guys are, we're going to talk about how you're trying to make it, simpler and, and continue to enhance the member experience in a minute. But um, good to hear that, that the plan is to open those back up. Sounds like folks are missing it.
1: Yeah, that's the feedback that we're getting is, you know, hey, can I just come down? Um, and can you help me like you did the, the last time, you know, explain yeah. this one situation or what have you. But um, yeah, yeah. And, they, you know, th- those centers, um, for for those of your listeners that, you know, are familiar with Net Promoter Score. Those centers have like 90 plus percent Net Promoter scores. I mean the the the, the experience that people get it, it's sort of Genius Bar like service um, for those uh, who are who are Apple customers and um, and you know there's a whole cohort of people that that love that and, and it's it's also you know to your point about the customer experience it's. Let's have all of those modalities available. You know, if someone wants an in-person, great. They can come in person. If, uh, if they want telephonic, if they want pure digital, it's, it's being available across uh, that array of modality.
0: Yeah, everyone's different. So they, they wanna get their information in, in, you know, in, in the way that they wanna get it, so that's great. So we have to move on though to, uh, because you know, before COVID um, and, and, and throughout and, and beyond, you know, you guys are working on, on making health insurance first and foremost, you know, a better experience, but but more affordable. Okay. So all of our clients, they want to offer competitive health insurance programs, but they don't want to break the bank. And you know, Eric, you and I know that the cost of health insurance, it's not, you know, it's it's not driven by administrative expenses, it's driven by the cost of health care. And so, uh, at the end of the day, you know we're always looking for for business partners, carriers that are tackling the underlying cost of healthcare. So, so kind of a, talk a little bit about what you were doing, are doing around. Around driving down the cost, around flattening the trend line, and in, in that, and this is kind of a loaded question. So you know, I'll, I'll I'll shut up for a while after I ask it. But your ACO strategy and pay for performance and move to value, but, you know, kind of where, where's Connecticut in the evolution of that?
1: And Jeff, great. It's a great question because you know I think you and I uh, agree that if we are not able to really um, impact the cost of delivering care. That the current affordability crisis as I, as I would call it, will continue, and we have to get on top of this not only as a uh, as a health ecosystem but frankly as a state and a state economy to make it an attractive place to be and, and do business and and um, you know raise your family etc so you know what Connecticut has done historically is and, and we've had ACO arrangements, we, we call them provider collaboratives. They've been in place for many years. Um, and what we do with those collaborative arrangements is um, we try to encapsulate the, uh, the, the metrics and the performance relate that come out in those metrics um, that, that center around both cost but also quality. And, and in fact, in, in many cases, quality is a gate so that there's not the temptation to take a path around cost that um, that actually drives a poor quality result. So we really want to make sure that our provider partners um, we're lockstep with in the way that we view quality um, as a pathway to producing a better cost outcome. Um, I will tell you that those the, those types of arrangements are, in my view, sort of incrementalism, right? We will, we will over time, continue to make incremental uh, impact and cost changes, but what we need now is we need a step function change. We're at a point where I think young clients, whether you know, they're clients that we share or they be um, you know, state governments, whether they be um, labor unions, whatever the case might be, right down to the individual, <clears throat> um, we need a step function change in the, uh, the, the cost of care. And so, you know, the ways that you, you get there are really starting to look at, you know, a population and um, a delivery system, doctor, specialist, hospital, um, having a shared accountability with a, a payer like ourselves, about the cost and quality for that individual. And Connecticut has been a market that has not really been keen on moving from a very fee-for-service, you know, very traditional-oriented um, payment mechanism to something that is more kind of shared risk. Um, and we continue down that path. Um, in fact, we have a couple of newer uh, relationships. I, I, I say newer relationships to clarify. Um, newer contractual relationships with partners we've had for many years, where we've been able to show them how they can be successful, um, and in some instances, like in, in a COVID situation, where they can protect some of the revenue that they would have otherwise had to do without in a pure fee-for-service world. And so um, so we have a couple of those relationships that, um, that are, are, are working. And uh, we've had a little bit of time to uh, to see how they're they're performing, so we're happy about that.
0: Um, is that Eric? Because because part of their uh, part of the payment to them is is because it's not fee for service. It's around the, the managing the overall health to a to a target to a target outcome, right? And the, the and so even if they're not seeing a patient in person, if they're still engaged and they're still successful in managing the health, they're still reimbursement happening there is that am i getting that right
1: yeah you're getting that right and and what it requires is a pivot in the internal discipline and capability of a, a delivery system and and what i mean by that is if you have a primary care doctor that you're um that is a part of that delivery system and that's what you're keying this this you know attribution to um that primary care doctor isn 't going to necessarily have the time to check on all of the specialists or to check on whether or not a you know potential surgical uh, um, treatment, whatever the case might be, whether it happened, whether it, it went well, what have you there 's a lot of burden on our primary care physicians that um, is another aspect that we really do need to tackle and the more sophisticated delivery systems have care coordinators, they have other apparatus that can help keep the um, the patient well cared for and the outcome that we have mutually agreed on with the delivery system. And um, and so it's trying to bring those kinds of assets, um, which in some instances we provide to the delivery system and in others um, they, they have their own. And so I, I bring that up because yes there's there's revenue that continues to come in but there's also an ability by that system to ensure that they're able to take care of all of the needs of that that customer um and only when absolutely necessary do we you know access um you know specialists or other types of therapies that might be outside of that delivery system so um so that that's how we've uh, that's how we've approached the you know the what I would call as an evolved view, which many other parts of the country have, uh, have had in place for, for a while, for a long time. And in fact, in our New York market and in our, in our uh, Massachusetts markets, you know, those are, um, those are a lot more commonplace. Um, And so the, the capability, the knowledge, the resources they've been in place a little bit longer. And, And you look at a market like, like Massachusetts, which, I don't think any market is perfect, but you know, in Massachusetts, there has been an ability to really try to flatten the increase, the steepness of the increase uh, of, uh, of, of cost of care, um, because of a lot of that um, payment arrangement and, uh, and because of a lot of that infrastructure that's in place. So we're doing those things. Um, we're also internally, we have really over the last three or four years built an incredible um, clinical capability that we total population health is the, you know, is the is the fun industry phrase to say we look at the total person, we take care of the total person. But behind that, if you don't have condition-specific programs that help people understand how to manage those uh, those conditions, then looking at the whole person, you're going to lose the ability to help them manage their many potential um, clinical, um, clinical needs. So over the last few years, we've really invested a lot in those clinical programs and capabilities um, and really trying to weave in mental health because uh, we believe that in addition to having to really rethink primary care. Uh, we also believe that, you know, especially coming out of COVID, that the, um, the access to mental health, the integration of mental health is absolutely critical for the wellness of, uh, of the people we serve.
0: No, no doubt, I mean, it, the, the data is clear that folks who aren't managing their mental health well, their total cost of care it's all interrelated, you know, you, you know so, uh, and you know that the data is just very clear on
1: that. Yeah, and I would say on, the, on that front, you know, we have an exclusive partnership with a, a Connecticut company called Silver Fern Health, who they've been tremendous partners. Um, and what they have brought to the table, which is excellent, is um, the ability to understand and break through what what they would refer to when we call psychosocial barriers to uh, to care and to good health and wellness. And so um, here's an organization that has many, many years of research that uh, enables us to pinpoint why is it that somebody is not taking care of themselves. And it's interesting what we have found as we've um, been in this partnership now um, a couple of years as we've deployed it through throughout our organization, not only in our WellSpark wellness company, but, but in our care management teams, we've found that there are people out there that are dealing with you know, PTSD that they didn't even know it. They didn't know that that was what was keeping them from taking care of a chronic condition. Or they're a caregiver, and they're a caregiver that takes care of the individual maybe family member that they're caring for rather than themselves mm-hmm. um, or all the way on down through, you know, uh, food insecurity issues, um, not having a refrigerator. So therefore they're not, you know, they're not eating fresh foods. I mean, the, the, the wide array of things that we've been able to unearth um, and this, this uh, partnership has helped us, have the right conversation with those customers. So, you know, we're, we've done those types of things too, where we've tried to be a thoughtful innovator and looking for those um, potential partners out there that have really created something unique uh, that can help members and, and and also help us serve them better. So it sounds to me like
0: you guys, like has a has a very kind of PCP oriented approach where where you're you're asking to partner with providers in a collaborative way and have them really assume quarterback the the, the total health of their of their members who, who are attributed to them right your connect yeah. care members to, to the attribution so um, which which I, I think you know kind of getting folks to establish relationships with a, with a primary care physician is so essential and so I think that's a great approach but what, what about kind of um, higher cost things that maybe that, that we're still paying fee-for-service on that, that perhaps could be uh, episodes of care that could be bundled uh, maybe around a center of excellence? Where, where are you guys on that?
1: Yeah, so we, um, we've we actually done a bunch of uh, COE, center of excellence work in the cancer arena as a, as a for instance, where depending upon the type of, of cancer, and the, the, the treatment path, very, very expensive. And, and not, only, uh, not always getting the, the outcome that, that's desired. And, and look, we recognize, we fully recognize that medical care in clinical, uh, clinical care, it's, it's art and science, right? I mean, it's a confluence of both. And, um, but that said, there is so much good. Uh, clinical data research that is out there, especially for the more common types um, of, of conditions, that um, that having better predictability there is, is absolutely possible. And so, so we have a center of excellence around around cancer. Um, we are working on on other bundles. It's interesting. We've had um, a musculoskeletal bundle. We in fact we had the first one in the state. Um, with CRJI, so we 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 know how to innovate on that front, and uh, and and we are looking at other you know maybe um, episodes of care that lend themselves very well um, to bundling. So absolutely um, looking at that, and also looking Jeff at um, alternative constructs of networks, right? Because we recognize that um, depending upon the the Buyer. If it's a very sophisticated large group, they might have a different um, interest or tolerance for alternative types of networks, versus a small business that might, you know, really they want to have good quality care, but they really have to buy based on price, and uh, and so we have um, we have a a strategy around what is that array and how do we make that available to those. Um, who it makes the most sense. So everything from, you know, micro networks all the way on through tiered. um, And, uh, and then, you know, we've had our passage network that, um, you know, really relies on, as you described, it really relies on the primary care and the high performing primary care practices um, that we know we get better um, quality and cost outcomes with, uh, with those groups. And so, um, that passage network has been out there. It's been a lot more popular in Medicare than it has been in commercial. I think coming out of Covid, um, I think that there will be a lot more interest in that because there's a lot more uh, price sensitivity.
0: no, no, no question. we're're we're, you know we're seeing that. There's uh, employers that are in now just, you know many of them just in survival mode. And so they look at their usually second highest uh, cost line item in their budget. You know their benefits and they and they've got to do something about it so uh, so so i'm, I'm assuming it is maybe tough to tell with it mostly being uh in the medicare um market but is the passage network trending out of a, a flatter rate a lower rate than than the broader full-blown connecticare network
1: yeah slightly right yeah the, the- thing about passage is it's a it's a very healthy reset down of uh, of um, you know the total cost of, of care because you have those better performers now you know what does that do that that does it's essentially tearing at the point of sale rather than tearing at the point of uh, using the, the care so it's a little bit more customer friendly and, yeah. and client friendly because they're they know what they're getting into at the beginning, yeah. versus some and you deal with it every day, Jeff. Right? Some folks just they don't fully understand a tiered network until it comes time to access that care, and they're saying, "Well, wait a minute, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that I couldn't go to you know X facility." And we we really do try to avoid that, and that's one of the reasons. Again, I'm you know sorry to be a bit of a commercial, but. That's one of the reasons why our extremely strong customer service um, is uh, is essential because you know and I, I've said this you know in the past that they know the difference between East Hartford and West Hartford and that there's a river in between and then a city and frankly, people in East Hartford, they don't want to cross a bridge to go and access care. They'd actually rather travel probably further east um, to access that care. And we recognize that we, and our people recognize that, um, and, and try to really steer them in a direction that is uh, more comfortable to them.
0: So that, that could be, I think that's a good segue. And, and, um, because I do want to get into the member experience and how you're helping members navigate through the healthcare system. That's just so important. Uh, just to, just to close the loop though on the, on the cost of care. Yeah. Um, you know what? A lot of people don't realize. The way I see it is that there's an there's actually an an inverse relationship between quality and cost. It's not the you get what you pay for world in healthcare because the 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 better outcomes are avoiding waste. They're avoiding post procedure infections. They're avoiding readmissions. They're avoiding trips to the ER. And so, it, usually, uh, I would say, let you tell me if you agree with this. Usually the better quality, the better outcome, the lower cost. I and mean, I know it's not always true, but is that, is that the right way for folks to think of this?
1: I think it's exactly the right way. And that's one of the reasons why, as you, as you hear me talk about our ACO relationships, that I put quality before cost in that sentence because of exactly that. It, you know, If you're keeping um, readmission rates down, which is how, one of the ways that we kind of view quality, then you're avoiding that cost. But more importantly, as that patient, you don't want to go back into the hospital. You just got out of the hospital. You want to be home. You want to be in a comfortable um, environment. You want to be getting back to um, your, your daily life. So yes, we focus highly and primarily um, on quality first and then as the, as as the cost plays out we see very much that, that same phenomenon Jeff.
0: well so you started touching upon uh, we touched a little bit upon the mem- the member service and, and i and i know as um, uh, full disclosure you know as a, as a eight year employee of Kineticare, uh, yeah. before i joined one digital um it, it, Kineticare is and always has been a member service centric organization and so where you know traditionally insurance health insurance carriers really did not do well on uh, net promoter scores and the member services were had there was a lot to be desired there Connecticut really held its own and, and sort of stuck out and that's one of the great things about the the local smaller local health insurance companies i think and um but I know you keep on trying to evolve that as well, right? And, and where, where we see things going is, you know, it's got to get beyond. Service has to go beyond, okay, you know, I call and I'll, I get a live voice and it's a quick speed to answer. That's great. Um, and uh, I requested a new ID card and I've got it three days later. But it's got to be, how is Connecticut care addressing this issue of helping people navigate through the complexity uh, and the stress of the healthcare system?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important, and, th- and this is something that um, I, I don't know that many of your listeners would um, would necessarily know. So, Kineticare is part of uh, the Emblem Health uh, family of companies. And the, the reason I point that out is that, um, you know, Kineticare on our own, while we are, you know, a um, a pretty large company by by some standards, um, there are a number of technologies out there that would be difficult for us to bring to bear on our own and we've been able to leverage um, our emblem health uh, connectivity to have best in class um, technology. Some of it is uh, already in place and some of it is um, is uh, rolling out on a on a, a, a cadence over the next few months so you know, things like being able to see every piece of information about a customer um, when we do have a touch point with them. So, you know, let let's let's back up a minute and think about as a health insurer, there are so many reasons why we reach out to a customer. And in many of those cases, they're intended to help the customer, patient. Um, doctor relationship along giving information or or prompting um, the patient to to be seen Um, but we have that coming from and and all carriers have done this traditionally Um, I ran customer service at a at another another large plan and you know you have these these desires to touch members from all these different channels right Um, and we're taking a whole different approach to this. This is, you know, again, you we know you. You live in a town that's right down the road, or in a city that's uh, down the highway, and um, and so it's, you know, one point of contact that we really should be having with with our customers, and and we're driving rapidly at that. Um, you know, obviously, there's the whole array of technologies, and we we refer to it at the top of the the podcast around you know, meeting people where they wanna be met. So whether that's brick and mortar, whether that's telephonic, or whether it's digital.
0: And Eric, yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Eric, but um, the, when you say one point of contact, does, does can you elaborate on that? I mean, I, I, I could, I, I, my mind could take me, like I could think of, hey, every member has a dedicated service person, and it, it, that seems too good to be true. I'm just, but, but what does one point, of, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So it's uh, in, and there will be an array of this, right. Depending upon, you know, what, what type of um, what type of plan a a person chooses. So again, you know, we're known for great customer service. We've won Stevie awards for our customer service uh, multiple years in a row. Um, So everyone gets that great service. Um, But when you do it at its, at its fundamental, if you do call in, and you have a question, and we're trying to reach you for 17 things, I'm making that up, but you know, three or four things, we're going to try to bundle that all together, all in that interaction. Or if we outbound to you, and we need to reach you for three or four things that again, ultimately support you getting the care in the right setting, right? We're going to take care of all of those things. So There's so, not
0: you're you're trying to avoid handoffs, is what you're saying.
1: It's it's not only the handoffs; it's also the multiples. It's well, yeah. wait a minute. You guys just sent this, or you know, I just mm-hmm. got a phone call last week on this, or whatever the case might be. Got it. Um, we're, we really want to recognize that we need to fit into our customers' lives, not the not the opposite for sure. And um, so so that's at its basic, Jeff. And then all the way on through. You know there are going to be those pieces of um, of our customer base that want that true concierge service. And we have it today. We provide that um, for other customers, um, both you know in Connecticut, but a very large customer in uh, in the metro New York area. And we provide that service today where there's a dedicated team, and they know intimately this customer's needs. Um, they know many of the people who, uh, who call on a regular basis and, and so that you can build up some cadence. And then, you know, then there's sort of the ultimate, which is, you know, you pick up the phone and you call Eric hmm. and Eric knows you, Jeff, and knows, you know, you like to play golf, but you have allergies and it's a real pain in the neck to try to balance that um, at this time of the year when, you know, maybe you're not getting your allergy shots. Right. Um, and your golf game stinks. And you're, go- and you're off your golf game and Jeff, we want you to hit, hit, the, uh, hit, hit the, golf, uh, the golf balls as uh, good as you possibly can. So, great. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, and so we have won uh, a number of awards for those concierge services too. And so you know, we believe that having the array of those service models that never drops below our great standard service today but there are many opportunities to make it better, and we, we're um, we're striving to um, to do exactly that. And then I would just also reiterate that you know, having the uniqueness of an in-person service um, ability, you know, for those who want it, um, and we're all over the state. Uh, which you know, to the extent that we're able to, we will continue to expand those footprints. Um, and uh, and I'm I'm you know very eager to getting back to having other programs in those centers, like, you know, the work that we do with um, uh, Alzheimer's Association and the support groups there, um, you know, aging, aging types of clinics, um, Zumba classes, right? I really looking forward to, to doing that, but want to do it in a, in a safe manner.
0: And I think you, before I interrupted you, I think you were starting to talk about the fact that, so, you, you know, you're, you, you've got that array of touch points or data or or access points so that, and you were starting to talk about digital, right? So I think you were saying you, you, people, look, you could go to one of the brick and mortar retail centers and get in-person service. Um, but if you prefer to do things on your smartphone, um, you could do that as well. Right.
1: That's right. And we have a whole new generation of, not only portals for all of our constituents, but also um, a, an app um, that you can you can have those interactions um, and and that's on the insurance side right on the on the wellness side, and you know again, I, I think many of your customers may not be aware that um, we sort of repackaged a whole host of capabilities and launched a, a new brand called Wellspark Health last year. Um, and that is while um, there is is every modality from in person to pure digital, we have an, an extremely strong digital platform there that um, that ties into everything from you know device data logging if in fact that's what uh, an employer is interested in um, all the way on through incentives um, uh, administration and and it's um and it's, it's pretty customizable too, right? So, you, you know, you can do a whole host of things through there. And we have a whole new, uh, a whole new tranche of capability that we're bringing uh, into that platform. Um, and, you know, it's important to note that that company, while it is part of the Emblem Health family of companies and, and it's, it's run, um, you know, through the Connecticut leadership team, Um, there is a very strong firewall between the data that comes into that organization and what happens on the insurance side. Um, Mm -hmm. Unless it's a client that has both our insurance and, uh, and that wellness platform, there is never discussion uh, about it. And, and that just allows a lot of flexibility. We have a lot of clients who, um, you know, have, been on on that platform that don't have our underlying insurance and vice versa Um, but that's something that isn't an enhancement to an employer's capability and in fact um, while it's not embedded in in that base app there's a there's an add-on app that um, uh, enables um, you know sort of covid uh, self-diagnostic around you know condition uh, symptoms um, attestation about, you know, maybe taking your temperature and I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not having any symptoms and then Mm -hmm. contact tracing. So, you know, that's out there too, as we think about what our, um, our employer, um, our employer organizations are dealing with as they think about coming back to work. The, the,
0: uh, Eric, the, the well spark. So can, can any, if If you're a Connecticut insurance customer, regardless of size, can you get access to the Wellspark programs and platforms or there's or or uh, how does that work? Certainly, if it's a Connecticut customer using Wellspark, it probably there's that solves a lot of the integration, data integration and, and transfer uh, problems a lot easier, right?
1: Sure does. Yeah, no, we, we've got a um, you know, high degree of automation on that data going back and forth. Um, in some of our uh, products, uh, WellSpark is embedded.
0: Uh, right.
1: And, and where clients uh, more in, you know, in the space that you, you tend to be in, Jeff, around larger um, clients, mm-hmm. that um, that's something that they absolutely have the option. We always go, uh, we always show up to the market by saying, hey, we recommend that, that you put this in. Um, but we're also sensitive to the fact that, you know, some organizations just aren't there yet. And uh, and yeah. we're here and we stand ready when they are ready for that.
0: Um, we we have to uh, we have to talk about the ever present issue of um, uh, pharmacy costs. Um, so people might be sick of hearing of that too, just like COVID. But but uh, how what's on the what's going on on the pharmacy side? And you you spoke about Emblem Health and leveraging Emblem Health, and and I think you do that in your PBM contracting as well. But you know how, how's Kineticare and and your PBM partner working to level out that trend, or or you know reduce the cost of prescription drugs?
1: Yeah, so, it, it and, and I'm not sick of talking about it. Um, I think we have to talk about it because it is one of the fastest growing um, elements of cost out there. Yeah. And in, and in many instances, for, uh, for a good reason, right? I mean, the, the amount of innovation in, um, in pharma is, is pretty astounding. What is difficult is the amount of cost that it takes to bring those innovations to market. And then you know not to get philosophical about it but you know there there is a a very real issue that we have to deal with not only as a state but as a country in terms of you know why does the United States um, tend to bear the vast majority of the uh, d- development costs yeah. um, so so those more philosophical things aside what we're doing so number one as, as you as you rightly pointed out we have a um, uh, an overall enterprise contract with our 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 PBM our pharmacy benefit manager, and um, we have taken more and more and more steps with each uh, with each uh, day and with each month um, in clinical integration of uh, information between our, our pharmacy partner and our clinical teams, because what we found is one of the you know one of the key um, activities that we've engaged in is what is referred to as academic detailing, which at first, I had no idea what that meant. But at, uh, when, when you really pick it apart, what does that mean? It means that you have conversations with, um, with physicians and or practices in total who are showing patterns, of prescription patterns that there might be a different um, evidence-based path uh, and, and as a result, a cheaper set of drugs to use without compromising on that quality or efficacy. And so, you know, I think um, not being a physician myself, but having, you know, many colleagues and also friends who are, I, I think because the research is so crushing, there's so much research out there that when, when physicians find a, um, a therapeutic that works, they tend to continue to use it um, because they know it's dependable. And what we're trying to do is supplement their capacity for keeping up with just dramatic amounts of uh, of research and new product. We try to supplement that through this this process of academic detailing where we try to to help them understand, you know, maybe there are therapeutics that um, either they're not aware of or that have evolved and are now better, more efficient and effective than perhaps um, a, a past experience and so we we try to do a lot of those activities because again, keep in mind, we believe that the physicians are in the best um, are in the best situation to make those calls. We just know that sometimes they don't have all of the information we want to help with that um, You know the other thing that um, that that we've done a lot of is really thinking about um, how our formulary has to evolve, and this is a tricky one, right because you know, someone might be, someone might, someone may be on a drug that has been working for them, and very similar to the academic detailing with the physicians that I just described, the the patient doesn't necessarily want to change, and so it's really trying to help educate um, and and providing a path, right, to to having those individuals maybe change. Um, same you know ingredient maybe it's just a different manufacturer um or trying an entirely different ingredient and and seeing if it works um and so those types of things lead to uh shifts in the the formulary and which drugs are preferred which drugs aren't because what what we really want to do at the end of the day jeff is we want to create a structure that people could understand and navigate that saves them money at the end of the day, and that's one of the reasons we get, you know, we 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 get you know very um, amped up when it comes to um, trying to move someone to a, a drug that is actually cheaper. Because at the end of the day, if it if it makes it um, more affordable for the customer and you get the same results, why not do it? Let let's make sure that we're uh, we're doing that all day long.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is is academic detailing? Is it is it a, a kind of a, a, a nice way or a fancy way of saying you're you're teaching, right? You you're, you're teaching both the providers because they're they're just it's information overload. You're trying to simplify them getting the most up to date yes. data on, on on drug availability and different therapies, as well as kind of teaching the uh, the patient um, so that they feel comfortable with the decisions absolutely. that with the, with the guidance that they're getting from their physician. Right.
1: It absolutely is. And it's, and it's peer to peer too, right? It's not someone like me going to a physician and saying, Hey, you should do this because of all of these reasons. And I read up on it. It's, it's physicians that have the same kind of practice, practice experience that are having a peer to peer conversation um, and or pharmacists saying, H- here's what, um, options, other options may be available to you, and it's interesting because when we first started doing this, and we started it in the uh, oncology space, we got a lot of pushback. We got a lot of pushback, and I won't say from home, but we got a lot of pushback from one um, one system in particular. And you know, to their credit, they listened, and they started they started digesting the information that we were providing, and they they have been the greatest partner on that front, when it comes to, um, us giving, you know, more information to them that, you know, again, it's overload so that they might not um, be able to consume. So it it, it has been a lot of fun, but also encouraging to watch that relationship, um, actually strengthen because we're, we're really trying to take a, a clinically oriented view to this and not a Cost first oriented view. It's everything that
0: we talked about. Really, I can even come back to you know the the uh, the PCP engagement uh, that that you're getting with the provider um, collaboratives, right? And then the academic detailing is about you guys bringing data to the table, right? Is that right?
1: That's right. And we we see that in every corner of our relationships with uh, with the health ecosystem, whether it's a, a doctor, or a hospital, what have you is, that data interchange, that data sharing, and in both directions, right? We have access to electronic medical records um, in a number of systems. That is an immense help because we're not we're not calling and interrupting their practice pattern by saying, hey, we need to see the medical record for X, Y, or Z so that we know the appropriate way to pay um, pay for this um, so those partnerships in the in the the way that we 've been able to deepen them have been extremely helpful and they result in a better outcome for uh, ultimately for the patient um, and those are all techniques that we're using to try to drive the cost down
0: we've seen it seems like the the evolution was or I think a lot of people had the perception that, you know, uh, you remember the old, you know, you got bean counters at the insurance, the old bean counter comment, right? The bean counters are telling the doctors how to practice medicine and uh, we, we need people to rest assured. That's, that's not what ha- what's happening here. You've got clinicians uh, on your side that are working as peers with, with the clinicians in your network, bringing, bringing information to the table so that they can develop best practices and, and manage the total, population, the, the, the total health of their
1: uh, attributed members. Without a doubt. And you know, I would tell you that the very talented clinical um, team that we have um, at our organization, they all come out of direct patient care. And in fact, some of them come directly from hospitals and their own and or their own practices. And so I, my orientation and the rest of our team is oriented to listen to them first, right? Mm. Because they, they have just been in that setting to make the decision about, about a, a care treatment plan. Let's listen to them first and then let's figure out how to solve for the things like how the affordability works, how the quality comes out at, at the end of the day Um the operational aspects. So it really does start from a, a clinical-minded um, guidance and determination, and we believe that that is, you know, the way that it should be. What What other
0: trends do you see in the Connecticut market, or or, or what what did we miss today? Anything else you want to talk about that you're seeing happening, or or that um, you want to highlight that we didn't touch upon?
1: You know, we are seeing a lot of um, shift to self-funded uh, plans um, employers at, at different sizes. Um, you know, we, we did launch uh, a self-funded program for, um, for small, smaller employers that, um, that has been working extremely well, both for them as, as well as, as we view, how we're able to serve them. You know, we just, we just signed a a very large national uh, client in our WellSpark business that is, um, I, and I mentioned that, uh, we've talked about WellSpark a bit here, but I mentioned that because that partner is such an innovative thinker about uh, wellness and well-being. Um, they happen to be, you know, right here, uh, headquartered right here in, in Hartford. Um, and so we, we, you know, we love that story that, you know, Connecticut companies um, working together to really sort of set the, the, the bar when it comes to wellness and well-being. Um, you know, we've talked about um, the social determinants, insofar as I mentioned our, our Silver Fern Health uh, partnership, um, but that really is uh, at the heart of what we do. It's not this add-on, just like mental health, not an add-on. It has to be, and will will be, um, completely integrated into the way that we approach. Um, now, I would I would say. As as our own biggest critic, I don't think that we're fully there yet, um, but we're about two steps away, and we're excited to make that that whole person you know care experience uh, really work. And that we we also believe that 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 mental health professional, whether it's a psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, whatever the credentials, um, we believe that that is an important connective tissue of the rest of the the care team. And, um, and when we see that work well, we, um, we, we see the outcomes and we, we see what it does for, uh, for people.
0: Well, Eric, this is, I, I think this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it and, and sincerely appreciate you spending some time with us uh, today. I, before I let you go, though. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if we gave you a heads up on this. Hopefully we didn't, but, uh, but we always ask our guests a few rapid fire questions just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So are you, are you ready for that?
1: Let's, let's do it. Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band? Oh, this is going to be embarrassing. Probably Maroon 5.
0: If you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: Time travel
0: oh yeah if you weren't doing what you do now what would you be doing
1: i'd be racing cars and most people who know <laughs> uh, know me know that about me i'd be racing cars
0: oh that's awesome up at lime 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 rock what is it lime rock, lime rock.
1: yeah yeah that's one of them uh just, yeah. yes yeah just uh yeah great place great park great uh great family atmosphere too honestly yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one
0: uh finally eric our theme at one digital this year is being bold so what does being bold mean to you?
1: Look, I, I, I've been uh, in this role um, for a number of years now, and I would tell you that the one thing that I think we have an opportunity to do differently here in Connecticut is not be afraid to act. And um, in, in doing so, just putting down, you know, now look, I have all this great branding around me, but every once in a while, put the branding aside. Don't think about who you play for and start to think that you play for an ecosystem that frankly right now is pretty fragile. And the more we link arms together and think about how um, we reimagine our health ecosystem, reimagine many of our social programs, reimagine how we think about talk to one another respect one another um i think now is the time and the opportunity to do it and so you know that takes a whole box of things uh jeff but i think being bold is about is about not being afraid to act and step out and uh and doing the right thing regardless of who who you play for what team you play for
0: Really well said, So, and needs to be said, and thank you for saying it. And thanks again, Eric Galvin, President and CEO of Connecticut. Thanks for joining us. You took a lot of time with us today amidst all the stuff going on. I know you're very busy, and Connecticut is working hard in response to COVID and all the other things we talked about. So, uh, so thanks, Eric. Thank you, listeners, again, for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR.